Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. I'm your host, Phil Huber. Today, I'm joined by John Doyle. Logan is out of state, taking a class and doing an article way off in the lovely country of Las Vegas. Uh, today is episode 111. We made it to our 111st podcast. So thanks for all of you who have hung around with us. Also, thanks to Shaper Tools. They're the sponsors of this episode. They're the makers of the Shaper Origin, the handheld CNC router that brings digital precision to the craft of woodworking. Tackle joinery, cabinetry, hardware installation, and more with speed and precision. You can try it risk-free in your shop for 30 days. Visit shapertools.com to learn more. want to just get started for this week's episode by sharing a few comments from last week's where uh where it was it was real last mm -hmm. week and talking about collecting and cleaning out stuff and uh so several of our comments on the youtube channel i thought were pretty cool uh jeff writes well i have to say a thank you for the therapy this week Dr. Phil could be up with the luminaries such as Jung and Nietzsche. Appreciate the insights into the motivations that make us organize, make, purge, clean, and reminisce. Not in that order. I am a retired engineer, and I still think fondly of the good old days when I knew where my 10-millimeter socket was. Looking at you, John. Yep. I want those days and my socket back. <laughs> Rick writes, I agree, John. It may be easy to search through a digital version of a magazine archive if you know what you're looking for, but it's difficult to peruse a digital version for ideas, which I, I think is so true in so many ways. Uh, Graham writes, out of sight, out of mind is how I am as well. If I can't see it either immediately or after a brief look around, I effectively don't have it. On the other hand, I seem to have located my shop in a supernatural effects area. If I set the tool down, I often cannot locate it at a later time. I think something, a demon, is randomly relocating the tool to some other place. Even in the rare event that I actually put something where it's supposed to be, it will get relocated to some other random place and time. E.G. Blue Suede says, my shop says that I'm a dad who loves his kids, hot sauce aficionado, vintage tool junkie, proud patriot, exotic scrap wood hoarder, numerous project starter, wannabe maker, passionate woodworker. I put a lock on the door so it stays that way when I'm not around, <laughs> but you're all invited to join me anytime. Yeah. And Jerry writes, good discussion on tools and shops, but I'm now getting set up, setting up a group shop in a commercial rental. You're working in your private shops and the group shop and regularly sharing how you are working privately. I'd love to hear more about how to set up a group shop where each member has their space and responsibilities, but the language for success is a we, where we're looking out for each other, safety, productivity, tool knowledge, and creative output. Which I think is a good way to segue to talking about how we work here because I know we've talked about our own home shops pretty regularly. It's a it's a safe place for us here to discuss that. But we do. I I feel like we actually work in two group shops. Yeah, here I'd agree with that. Because we have um, for those of you who have yet to come to Des Moines and visit our shop and studio. You're welcome to do so. But what we have is, and where I'm sitting now is the the video studio, 
where we do the TV show, our YouTube videos, uh, and other related stuff. And then just 50 feet away from us is the Woodsmith production shop that we, that we call it, that we, you see on Facebook on Thursdays when we do our shop updates where the projects for the magazines, uh, get built. So, and they each have their own dynamic. Mm -hmm. I feel like, yeah, they definitely each have their own vibe. Like I feel like, um, the production shop where our so-called professional quote unquote woodworkers are working our <laughs> shop craftsmen. It's like, I feel like we have to be on a little bit better behavior in there and, you know, keep it a little bit cleaner because we're working around them, even though we don't always do that. That's kind of the right. vibe I feel in there. So sometimes it spills out into the photo studio and that's a little true. bit, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, before we had the video studio in this building, when it was a separate space, uh, working and even now working in the main shop, the production shop, I would say that we have a, a collective we mindset when we're in there for the mm -hmm. most part. And I think it, part of it is realizing that I, you know, one issue to, to realize is there is always going to be an ebb and flow of crazy, you know, like the weeks surrounding our photo schedule or something like that, where we have a lot of activity going on in the shop, you know, in addition to Mark and Steve, uh, building the projects they need that they need to for, you know, upcoming issues. We also have photo props that need to be made or technique article research, um, and props to be put together for that. There might be some video things going on as well. So there's a high level of activity. And because of that, there's going to be probably a higher level of chaos and disorder. And then once that schedule kind of drifts down, then, you know, we usually at least try to have a purge day or a cleanup day where we can kind of go through and clean out little scrap pieces or sweep up mm -hmm. because even with the dust collectors and the air cleaners running, it's a woodworking shop and there's going to be dust around. I don't think there's any way to get around that really. Yeah. It definitely accumulates over time, even with the constant sweeping and whatnot. So, yeah. But, yeah. I, I, there's also one, I mean, and I think this is where we see it most often in the video studio is uh, there's a concept called the tragedy of the commons, where if there's something that belongs to everybody, it effectively belongs to nobody. So like in the video shop, you know, you'll be working on some props. I'll be working on some props. Logan's got some stuff going on. And before we know it, there's really no clear area to set down a pencil. Mm-hmm if you can find one. So it's like being able to, in spite of how busy you may feel to take the time to, you know, get your crap together and at least put it into a consistent pile or in a place where it's not in the way for somebody else to do some work as well, to be mindful of, mindful of the other people around you. Yeah. 
Yeah, and another thing I've been guilty of is like what you talked about at the times when we're really busy and I'm in and out of that shop um, because we're working in the video studio shop, so I can't use those tools and kind of in and out. And it's like, oh, I'll come back and clean this mess up as soon as I'm done. And then, you know, it calms down and several days later... I come back into the shop. I haven't been in there, and I did not clean up my mess. And this kind of sheepishly, like, sorry, I didn't no left all this stuff here on the side of the table saw, or have a bench filled with clamps that I quickly, you know, clamp something up and took off and left everything sitting out. And yeah, so yeah, it definitely keeps us accountable on that. But we always haven't been the best roommates when, <laughs> admittedly, so. Right. I think there's a, I mean, like we have to just understand that in the sense that, you know, we're not going to be perfect all the time. So if you can go into a group shop setting and have that grace for yourself and for others, I think people are less likely to get offended. That and also communication, you know, because we've had some people in the shop that were very skilled, passive-aggressive communicators. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. It gets to a point where somebody has to leave a passive-aggressive note or push <laughs> all of your pile into like, or like one section, push all your shavings up against your, you know, the bench and right. Yeah. It's like, this is yours. Take care of it. Yeah. So. And if you're not the type of person who can organize yourself at the end of a shop session, to be okay with the fact that somebody is going to take your stuff and pile it, hopefully gently, mm -hmm. but in a way that's out of the way for other people to do their work. Right. So I, that would be something that I would have a follow-up question to Jerry is, you know, the language, he says the language for success is a we, where we're looking out for each other, you know, like, are we in that shop? Are you all working on your own individual projects and it's just a shared space or are you collectively working on projects, you know, as more of a, a company team effort kind of a thing? Cause I think that can play a role too. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder too, did like uh, a shop, you know, shared space like that do they have ground rules you know set up from the start or is it kind of just like a unwritten rules how, do, how does that best work i guess yeah no and i would think that you would want to have that uh, you know the shared space i think you would want to address in terms of insurance mm -hmm. and liability issues that you have some kind of and even here what we have for people who join Woodsmith is going through a basic safety orientation, you know, and signing a waiver that, Hey, you're working in a shop with tools that can cause harm. You know, you're doing it quote unquote at your own risk. We will provide the training that you need for specific tools if you're unfamiliar with them. But if you do something dumb, that's kind of on you. Yeah. Um, Oh, the thing I was going to say is that in another life, I, some of my early training after high school was for firefighting and I spent a year, uh, interning with the city of Menasha, Wisconsin fire department. And one of their routines that they had was every, uh, Friday was, they called it star day. 
So whichever of the three shifts was on duty that Friday was like clean the station day. So you went through and made sh- you know, cleaned the bathrooms and did the vacuuming and all the stuff in the living area of the station. But then we also cleaned the truck room and, you know, made sure that the office was in good shape, that the trucks were all in working order, all the pumps were working, all the equipment was stored the way that it's supposed to be stored. Um, we had a fire engine that we had on reserve as a foam truck. So for hazardous materials and where we would want to use firefighting foam instead of just straight water, you know, that one didn't get used all the time. So just, you know, starting the engine and running the pump and, you know, making sure that the, you know, the circle saws and concrete saws that we had would start up and that kind of thing. So, so maybe in a, maybe in a shop, a shared shop environment is just setting aside specific times where they're scheduled that, you know, you're going to take care of, you know, like a cleanup day or shop maintenance or that kind of thing. Um, I think you'd also want to have, you know, everybody chip in some amount of money because, you know, it's like, what are you going to do about, you know, more than likely each person is going to have their own set of tools to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what about like bandsaw blades and jointer knives and table saw blades? You know, like where, where does that money come from? Right. Or take time to sharpen shared tools or whatnot. <laughs> Maybe. 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 No reason to say that. Yeah. Because I know, like, yeah, again, that's one of those tragedy, the common things. Like, we have two sets of chisels in the video studio here and, you know, like probably a dozen planes all together. And I can't remember the last time that they got sharpened. Yeah. We just schedule Logan to do like some sort of sharpening video. Yeah. You know, yep. once a month and con him into sharpening yeah. the tools. There we slowly. go. Slowly. Yeah. I feel so. like that's a good idea. Yep. He's not here, so he will, he'll mm-hmm. never listen to this. He won't know. <laughs> so. I mean, so those are th- good things too. And, and I don't know how formal or rigid that they want to be like, is there some person that's going to be responsible for, you know, maybe you have somebody that's responsible as like the general shop manager kind of person that loves to tinker with the machines to make sure that they're in good working order. Um, somebody who, you know, who can buy the, buy the sandpaper and the glue and, the double-sided tape and all the the kind of consumable things, you know, finish. Mm-hmm. Will you do finishing there? What does that look like? And that's something we run into here too is, you know, one of the perks of working at Woodsmith is having the spray booth, right? Mm-hmm. And when, you know, the spray booth is big, but there are still times when when the airplanes stack up over the runway trying to get in there. Yeah. Yeah. We have several wheeled, uh, carts or tables and whatnot. And it's a lot of like shifting things around kind of like a, one of those, uh, moving puzzles of, 
Yeah. Okay, this is drying. I'm going to wheel this out and bring my thing in, and hopefully I don't get overspray on yours. And Right. <laughs> so, but yeah. Yeah. And then I think um, another item to consider in working in a, in a shared shop is um, like that each person still has a space, so to speak. You know, like in the in the main woodsmith shop, there's a row of cabinets that, you know, we call like the editor's bench where, and it's not just editors, you know, some of the illustrators. And I think you've had your own set of double door cabinets there where mm. you can keep your own set of tools or supplies or whatever there. And you know that it's kind of a protected safe place and people aren't going to be poking their noses in it. In the same sense that, you know, we have three fixed workstations in our shop for, well, four technically, because we have Chris's CNC room, but you know, like where Mark's bench is and Steve and Dylan, and we don't really mess with their benches or tools, you know, so they have that space where they know that they can be working on something and they're not going to be anybody's way. And it's a written, unwritten rule that we're not going to mess with the stuff that's in that area. So, yeah, yeah I kind of forgot about the uh, the kind of cabinet lockers and stuff that you mentioned. Now I can uh, bring some of my stuff from home and shove it in there. It's probably See? empty, so right. Uh -huh. Another place to hide stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, but. Yeah, kind of on on that note, and and on the um, decluttering and uh, whatnot conversation we had from last week, I started a exercise. I think I might have mentioned this to you guys last week, but I saw on social media where there was this challenge to get rid of like one more thing each day for thirty days. So like on Ooh. day one, I'm going to get rid of one thing. Day two, I'm going to get rid of two more things. Day three, three more things. So after, so like now I'm a week in and I think it adds up to 28 things. Whoa. So I'm like going through my garage with this, which this has worked well. Okay. As an interesting exercise because we, you know, we just moved in November and kind of the, all of the last kind of random things that got moved to the house all got thrown into the garage and just kind of left there for the winter. So stuff that, you know, apparently we haven't really needed or used or, uh, as far as in the house has just been sitting there all winter. So going through that and, uh, just kind of going through this exercise. So like, you know, the first day, I don't remember what I found, but I just something random in there and, you know, got rid of it, threw it away. And like, so like, like two or three, it's like, okay, I found a, like a Twinkie wrapper was one of the things on the floor. <laughs> It's like, okay, I can throw that away. Right. But like, I, I, not only am I getting rid of just random things, but it's like I find like the screwdrivers. Are, well, they, this isn't where they go. So I go and put those away in the process of, you know, getting rid of things. Or like this doesn't go in the garage. It goes in the house. So then right. you know, I go put that away. So, But it's kind of interesting as, as you get to like more things per day. So like – we're about a weekend, so you know I got to get rid of seven things today. But every you know IKEA piece of furniture or kid's toy that came with an Allen wrench, I have like you know a bunch of Allen wrenches. I have a set of Allen wrenches. I don't need all these random 
unmarked Allen wrenches that I've saved. So it's like, okay, I can let those go. I don't need those. Or all just the random hardware that has collected in, you know, a coffee can. You can let some of those things go. Or an empty box or, uh, you know, maybe a, a tool case that I don't store anything in that tool case. It's, you know, hung up on the wall. Right. So I don't need that tool case. I don't need it to take up that space. So it's just kind of weighing the importance of it and do I need to keep it around. So it's it's been kind of an interesting exercise this past week. But so after a week, it's added up to 28 things. After 30 days, it will ha- have added up to 465 things, I think the math comes out <laughs> to. So we'll see how it goes when I get towards the end of... But I, I, think, I feel like I can go through that garage and get rid of, you know, 465 things. We'll see. How do you f- Even if they're little small things. Right. I don't know. Yeah. How do you feel about that, that you have that much, that you have 400 uh, items that... Right. That, like, wait, uh, why did we even move this? Right. Exactly. It's like, why did I go the, through the effort of moving this or hanging on to this for so long? But... It's it's amazing because even before we moved, we got rid of a lot of things that we didn't want to move. But it was still all like the little random stuff that got thrown in boxes at the end. It was like we just have to get this out of here and get it to the the other place. So yeah, I don't yeah, I yeah I enjoy getting rid of like making space and getting rid of letting things go that I've held on to. So yeah. it's a good feeling and it's like I said, it's definitely an interesting exercise because. You also are kind of taking inventory of what you have and what you actually need or where things should actually be placed and or do I need to make a place for this thing that I'm keeping. Sure. It's been it's been quite therapeutic and I'm only a weekend so we'll see how the <laughs> how the rest of this goes if I can make it to the end. Yeah. Or if I can stop once I get there. Right. Maybe you just keep so, going. That would be kind of yeah, funny. Yeah, just yeah. So how long will it last? But it's kind of fun. Well, uh, once again, thank Shaper Tools. They're sponsoring today's episode. They make the Shaper Origin, that handheld CNC router. I'm sure you've seen it in a variety of places. It adds digital precision to your woodworking. You can do all kinds of stuff with it that gives you both speed and precision, You know, like cabinetry construction, hardware installation, joinery, quite a bit of stuff. You can try it in your shop risk-free for 30 days. Check out shapertools.com to learn more. I think it's kind of interesting how, and probably would be an interesting psychological study is what, you know, cause there's some of those things, like you said, there's some things that just got moved just to get it out. But then there's other things that at some point you made a decision to keep because of some sort of inherent or perceived value in them. And I've always thought that way about tool cases. You know, like I got a the the Bosch Colt little palm router, and it comes in a a decent tool case. Um, it's not something super cheap or whatever, and it wasn't just a cardboard box. and And I held on to that for I don't know a while, and then I realized, a I'm not putting the router back in here because I'm never getting that cord back into the case where it's going to be able to close and lock. And it just doesn't work with how I store tools. But I had that, and then I had another 
one of those like blow molded cases for a Bosch drill and uh, a metal case from an old Porter cable um, biscuit joiner that I got from my dad. You know, it looks like an old school toolbox, but it was for that biscuit joiner. And it's like you hold on to those because it's the tool case for it. Like you got to keep that, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, if you get rid of it, like that just hurts the resale value. <laughs> <laughs> got to keep the original packaging. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You keep the packaging and all the boxes and, and, the, and all the manuals that you hang on to. Right. And it's like, I'm never going to read this or I can just go online and yeah. find the manual if I need it. Or... Do I really need the manual for a cordless drill? Like feels like it should be pretty well self-explanatory. Yeah. Yeah. And I had, uh, a set of sockets um, in a you know one of the clamshell plastic whatever cases they came with for that was given to me like 20 years ago and the latches on the case were broke so every time I picked it up it fell open and they you know all the pieces went everywhere and then I'm putting all the little sockets back in the little <laughs> holes and then till the next time I pick it up and so I've been, I finally just got rid of that when we moved and invested in a new case and I, I don't think i needed that many sockets is what that had anyways because it had like all of the different you know sized right sockets for the different yeah you know, like a quarter or three eighths and then the half inch yeah, sockets yeah. yeah it's like i don't i don't need all of these so i finally invested in a new one um when we moved and it's like just having the case that works and doesn't fall open has saved so much time of like just organizing and so it's good to kind of go through things too like that. It's like, all right, I need to reinvest in in something that is just, you know, outstate its welcome and yeah, it's going to save me time and headache in the long run. So. Right. And th I think that's probably as, especially as hobbyist woodworkers, I think that's one of the hardest things to do is to value your time mm -hmm. or to, or to adequately value your time, you know, because like that's part of the reason that we're woodworkers is because, you know, we don't really have to count our labor in the cost of a project and we can make really nice furniture essentially for the cost of the materials. Mm -hmm. But there is a, a time value that, you know, like how long does it take for you to do 52 pickup with your sockets every time you want to use it? Or like, you know you have two round head quarter by 20 screws, but they're in this coffee can that's going to take you 20 minutes to search. And you might only find one of them and you need four when it would take 15 minutes to just drive to Ace Hardware and buy them and be done with mm -hmm. it rather than keeping a inventory of randoms. You know, so yeah, all stuff to consider. Plus, sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's just fun to get rid of stuff and get new stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> and to be able to upgrade. Like there's, there's a, and I very willingly admit to being a very thrifty person, but being able to upgrade from a from a basic just get by sort of a tool to something that is a nice tool is like, oh, that's what it's like, where you don't mm -hmm. feel like you have to fight it or constantly adjust or make do with it. Like it just works the way it's supposed to right away. Right. So, you know, there was a fine woodworking article 
I don't know, probably like 15 years ago or something like that. I think it was one of their tools and shops issues where the guy said that one of the things that he did to help maintain order in his shop was every time he was in the shop, and this goes to what you were just saying, of like dealing with 10 items, no matter what. And it's, you know, whether it's something that needs to get thrown away or given away or just put away where it's supposed to be and how in just a very short amount of time you can start to maintain more order in your, in your workshop. So I think that that throwing out one item a day and then increasing that is a pretty cool yeah. idea. Yeah. And I guess some of the things I found too is like I've hung on to not because I've wanted them or had um, perceived value in them. It's just like it has a value to someone. I just didn't know like who to get it to. So it's like some of that stuff has just gone in a box. I'll take it to, you know, Goodwill, right. make a trip and or whatever. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, somebody finds a use or, you know, put it up free on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace or whatever and kind of just get rid of it all at once. But some of the stuff, yeah, it's just you hang on because I don't necessarily want it, but somebody could get use out of it. Yeah. Uh, and that's the, the hard thing. That's a good point because, I mean, we don't want to be – just casually tossing stuff away. Like everything doesn't need to go into the burn pile garbage bin kind of a thing, but mm -hmm. you know how to do that in a way that's responsible, but doesn't necessarily take forever either. So, you know, like we, we were yeah. talking, like we didn't, we have, or in the past, we had a bunch of print versions of the magazine, like sets of it in various states of completion. And it's like, those things are a value, but, there aren't a lot of people who are willing to pay for it plus pay for shipping mm -hmm. to get it where it needs right. to go. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Shipping is definitely the big thing. It's like, it doesn't really make sense to ship something like that, but it's hard to get rid of them yeah. locally. Yeah. So, you know, we've given away some to schools and things like that, but even schools, like they have a limited amount of storage space. So it's super mm -hmm. handy, but where do they keep it now? So, just take one each time you go to a doctor's office and then like leave a magazine there on the counter. There we go. There we go. Just, you know, that airport bathrooms, mm -hmm. whatnot, you know, that's one thing that I do miss. And this is a weird one from this whole COVID thing is going to doctor's offices and dentist's office and the magazines just aren't there. Yeah. They've, it's like, what am I supposed to yeah. do? Like, I already spend too much time on my phone. I don't need to go to another yeah. place to spend more time on my phone. Mm. Like I want just some random weird magazine. Field and stream, Field, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. whatever. Good housekeeping. Yep. Women's day. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting to know like how many, like what percentage of circulations of like Time Magazine and some of those other ones are just to an office of some sort. Right. Yeah. And if like the, all these offices aren't having magazines anymore, how much of a hit is that on the right. publishing industry? Yeah. This is a, this is a study we need to know. <laughs> so this is economics. Yeah. Basic economics right here. Yeah. So. So now you worked before coming to Woodsmith at a company, which was sort of a shared shop, mm -hmm. right? 
how did yep. you yes. how did you guys navigate that? I mean, oh, I mean, certainly it's different because you're employees versus yeah. like, you know, there's you don't really have skin in the game necessarily on it, right? Yeah, it was a pretty small um, custom cabinet shop. So there was like three to five of us working in there at any one time. And when I got there, it was pretty, you know, it was a lot of stuff there. They had, <laughs> for some reason, purchased a lot of stock and wood that they had. And just, I remember a lot of just random doors that they had, like cabinet doors that they had made and hung on to. So it was like... In the few years that I was there, it was a lot of decluttering. But I don't know, as far as just sharing the shop, I think we had all had our own kind of spaces and um, kind of like what we have here and kind of our own tools. So it was kind of just, you know, having that as far as keeping to our, to our own areas and I think on like every couple weeks we had like a Friday afternoon where we would, you know, clean the entire shop, kind of open the door, blow all the dust out and whatnot, and clean out the the big dust collector we had. So a lot of the same stuff that we kind of do here. Sure. It's it's you know it's it's pretty casual, but you know, have a lot of unwritten rules of kind of sticking to your own space and the shared cleanup duties and whatnot and so. being considerate of other people's space and yeah yeah i yeah. mean that would be something to think about too in a shared space is like where are you going to put project supplies like where does the lumber and plywood go mm -hmm. you know like in our shop uh we have one one side of the shop is where the plywood and hardwood lumber goes but then there's also kind of a free-for-all place like after you know like we build a project out of cherry and whatever we're always going to buy extra in order to be able to pick for grain and color and that kind of stuff so there's going to be a, mm -hmm. a few boards plus or minus depending on the size of the project that are left over and then we have a kind of a section where we know like if the board is in here it's essentially fair game so if you need it for mm -hmm. a prop or to make a jig or something like that feel free to use it whereas you know lumber that's in these two bays you know you just leave it alone because that's not yours right yep yeah it's too it's funny too that it's like yeah we have those the sections of kind of the bigger pieces that didn't get used in a project that's free for all and then we have the the shorts and the scraps that you know fill up the bin and it's like um they kind of pile up and it's like oh look at all this cool stuff that i could make something and then there's just one day that you can hear Chris muttering back there <laughs> by that stuff. And pretty soon it's gone and the dumpster's full. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I guess it was time that, you know, all that little stuff. But the same thing there, too. It's like all that, like my dad has been through and like we have stuff like this bin is going to be for firewood. And he's like, you guys are just throwing this stuff away. And this, you know, it's good stuff. And it's like. It definitely would be useful to someone. It's just all that stuff piles up here and gets in the way. So yeah. I don't know if we just like take one of the pallets one day and shrink wrap all the those little short pieces and put them out and say, hey, free. Right. Or take them to the you know, Des Moines Woodworkers Club or some, something like that where it'll go to someone that you know would appreciate and use it. Or But here all that stuff just piles up and yeah. it's a nuisance. So. Thankfully, you know, like Chris – uh, heats his house with, I think it's an outside wood furnace. So mm -hmm. 
a lot of the hardwood scraps, we have a one bin, one of the rolling trash cans is designated specifically for scrap. So we know that when we have little shorty pieces like that, we can just pitch them in there and then Chris will take it home and mm-hmm. it'll go to good use. And, um, you know, we've had people in the past who work here that, uh, were into grilling or smoking meat or something like that. And mm-hmm. so they'll take all the cherry or all the oak scraps or whatever. So you can have charcoal or wood for smoking or something. So if you have something to deal with it that way, yeah. that's a good way to, to take care of it too. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So there you are. That's what we do around here, Jerry, for, um, taking care of stuff. Now, Chris has kind of been our shop manager on a lot of stuff as the creative director here. And he, one of the topics that Jerry had brought up was like shop safety and equipment is Chris also orders for us, um, respirators so that we have, um, a dust respirator for sanding. And if we're doing something that's really going to be, um, dusty some operation routing MDF or something like that. But then we also have a respirator for finishing to an organic vapor respirator and then getting those cartridges replaced regularly so that we're not just using the same things well beyond their expiration date. So, you know, I think there, there is like, I, especially if with a few number of people, you want to keep it casual that this is not going to turn into some kind of Robert's rules of order sort of thing, but there's, you know, a certain amount of, I don't know, being planned and prepared and organized is going to make it easier on the whole group. So let's see what else we got going on here. Logan's in Vegas. As I mentioned, he's, I think he's teaching or taking a class with Jimmy clues who was on the Mm -hmm. show with us last season and then doing some photography for an article for popular woodworking. Yep. yep. It's always interesting to see him pack up all those lights and try to get all those bags to the airport. Yeah. And, and I feel like the last, I don't know, four or five days, about 50% of the topics of conversation with Logan is how much his various pieces of luggage weigh. <laughs> right. It's like, it's not a competition. <laughs> Come on. This one was 39.28 pounds. Oh yeah. Cool. Yeah. Great to know. Yeah, and is that thirty nine point two eight pounds going to be that when it's on the scale of right. the airport? I mean, that's cutting it pretty yeah. close. If you got to be under forty pounds, yeah. But I don't know. Then it's like you just start taking stuff out and wearing yeah. it, mm-hmm. put it on. It always makes me think of that scene in uh, Apollo thirteen, where. I don't know whose character it was, was like going through the simulator, like trying to start up the command module in a certain order without going Mm -hmm. over amps to that would blow it all out. That's what I feel like Logan's been doing is just constantly shuffling. If I put my socks in this bag, but then put my underwear in this bag, then I can make it. Right. Yeah. It's definitely a science behind all that. Yep. So, and then we wrapped up a couple of TV show episodes this week and are almost done with another magazine issue, which is pretty fun. And yet 
feels a little Groundhog Day because it's like you finish one, you just start right in on the next one. It's just right there. Yep. They yeah. just keep coming. Yeah, I think what we say, we have about five episodes mm-hmm. for the season kind of completed out of 13. And usually we're trying to wrap up uh, like by the yeah. end of June, July-ish. And so, I don't know, we've got right. like two months to get the yeah. rest. But that's a that's a problem for future <laughs> selves. And future selves are going to hate yeah. us. Yeah. yeah. But I'm feeling good about so, it right now. But yeah. So, yeah, we got some momentum uh-huh. going here. We're gonna we're gonna get it done. Yep. We always do. Then next week so. we shoot an episode on uh, Dylan's Welsh stick chair project. I think mm-hmm. that'll be kind of fun. I think that's a. I think there's a large segment of woodworkers, myself included, who have always stayed away from making chairs, just because it's you know like a bookcase is still going to hold up bookcases or hold up books even if the joints aren't perfect or you know some of the details are just a little bit off but a chair is much more personal yes it's a different it's a different ball game just cuz yeah you have to make it all so that it works but it also has to be comfortable yeah which is hard to do because everybody's different. Mm-hmm. So, and there's different types of seating. I mean, there's lounging and, or the type you like a dining chair or a desk yeah. chair, or, you know, that kind of thing. So it's just a lot of different. And I know he, uh, Dylan's done a lot of chairs and he's done a lot of prototyping and just a lot goes yep. into it. And so. yet, like there are, I mean, like these well stick chairs, I mean, they were, a homespun version of a chair that it wasn't like somebody that was necessarily cranking out chair after chair after chair. It was some dude using the resources at hand, making a chair or a couple of chairs for the, Mm -hmm. for the household or something. So anyway, that one's a fun one. And I think that one's also a good one that's kind of ripe for customizing or, changing up a few details and being able to get a totally different look out of it. So I'm kind of looking forward to that one. Sure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it'd be fun. Otherwise I think that wraps up another episode today, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, I want to rem- remind you that today's episode and a thank you is brought to you by Shaper tools. They're the makers of the Shaper origin, the handheld CNC router, bringing precision to the craft of woodworking. You can take care of hardware installation, joinery, cabinetry, all with speed and precision. And there's a special trial offer going on right now. You can have the Shaper Origin in your shop for 30 days. Just go to shapertools.com to learn more. Otherwise, we'll see you next week, everybody. Don't forget to check out our Facebook Live shop updates every Thursday to see what's going on around here. And like I said, If during the summer season travel brings you through the heartland, feel free to come through Des Moines, Iowa, and we can give you a tour of the shop and studio. Uh, If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, I want to hear about it. You can put it in the comments section on our YouTube page for this episode, or send us an email, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Bye, everybody.